Are you just watching episode 8, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, part 2? I'm Daniel Lewis. And I'm Eve Franklin. And I'm Chris Jones. And in our random world of total madness, we've ended up in the same place again to continue our discussion about the craziness that is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, actually, we never left. <laughs> Whoa, that's a deep statement there. Maybe we should build a computer to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> we can ask them to answer a random question. Without actually giving a question. <laughs> yes, it is the ultimate question. The question of life, the universe, and why Windows XP crashes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should say why Vista crashes. Oh, come on. I like Vista. But this is not a technology podcast. <laughs> we are having some fun here and hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is great fun but it also makes a lot of statements for us to talk about and we're just going to jump right back in and talk about many of these statements that have come up but first of all hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy started out as a book and there was a whole series of books it was seven books okay seven books Mm. And the movie... A trilogy of seven books. A trilogy of seven books. (laughs) Yeah. It's very important. (laughs) Now, why was the movie so close to the books? Well, uh, the screenplay was actually written by the author of the books, Douglas Adams. So if you, you know, or start being weirded out that we're mentioning the books and the movie together so much, it was all written by the same guy. So he's making the same point. And they are extremely close. Mm. Yes, I would say they're the closest a movie has ever been to its book form. Perhaps. Maybe. The Princess Bride was also ridiculously close to its book. Oh, I haven't read that book. Oh, it was the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's better. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, yeah they are. Opinions are. differ. Yeah. What about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy itself? The book, or whatever that book-like device is in the movie. They um, explain how it was created, or why it was created, and what it is within the movie. Yes, this this is definitely going to give us something to discuss for a while. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a wholly remarkable book. Perhaps the most remarkable, certainly the most successful book ever to come out of the great publishing corporations of Ursa Minor. More popular than the Celestial Home Care Omnibus, better selling than 53 More Things to Do in Zero Gravity, and more controversial than Ulon Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters, Where God Went Wrong, Some More of God's Greatest Mistakes, and Who Is This God Person Anyway? It's already supplanted the Encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom for two important reasons. First, it's slightly cheaper, (laughs) and second, it has the words Don't Panic printed in large, friendly letters on its cover. All right, before we get into this, I would like to to give props to the movie makers because they did such a good job including the book in the movie itself, like yeah. the guide itself and weaving it all together. Like that was admirably done. Oh, yes. Yes, it was. The, the actual narrator is the hitchhiker guide to the galaxy. Right. Everything that's narrated in the movie is like the hitchhiker saying hitchhiker's guide saying it. Yeah. He also did the audiobook that I listened to. That's it, so awesome. And it was, yeah, just perfect voice <laughs> mm-hmm. for it. So, what statement are we going to pick apart first in this? <laughs> it is 
um, it replaced the encyclopedia, whatever, as the standard repository of all knowledge. Let's start there. All <laughs> knowledge. All knowledge. Which, ironically, Ford's job is to tramp about the universe, finding more information to put in the guide. <laughs> yeah. So the guide is always growing, but it is a repository of all knowledge. So, therefore, though, it doesn't have all knowledge because it has to have people adding more knowledge to it, which means that it didn't have that knowledge to begin with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in the books, they, I don't think they explained it in the movie, what the Hitchhiker's Guide says about Earth, did they? Oh, it's like, oh, not in the movie, but they do talk about it. What do they say in the books? Moderately harmless. Yes. That's right. There's two words. And at one point, I think, was it? Did it start out as two words? Moderately Most, wasn't, harm? No, it's mostly harmless. Mostly harmless. That's right. Yes, because that's the name, name of, of one of the books. books. Yeah. Yes, mostly harmless, and that was Earth. And that, yep, pretty much. So that's a real big ego booster right there. So we're <laughs> mostly harmless, apparently, in the greater universe. But ironically, we're not even mostly harmless because Adam and Eve sinned, therefore affecting all of creation. So mankind managed to screw up. Absolutely everything. Yes. How's that for mostly harmless? (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, I have to say here, because I see this sometimes, is where Christians, well, they turn off their brains and they Mm -hmm. say, the Bible is the collection of all knowledge in the universe and everything we need to know is in the Bible. Like saying that we don't have to study anything else other than the Bible. And I have strong disagreement with that. There's a difference between truth and knowledge. Yes, the Bible contains exactly. all truth. Science does, in fact, have a lot of knowledge. Like, that, that's the point, is to build knowledge. Science means knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. So, the Bible doesn't have, you know, like, technical scientific data in it, but it has all truth. And people get truth and knowledge mixed up all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So, the Bible tells us to seek after wisdom tells us to seek after knowledge. Psalms and Proverbs are filled with commands to get wisdom, get understanding, get knowledge. And also at the same time, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that's in Proverbs 10, the first couple of verses of Proverbs 10. Now, what about that trilogy of books? <laughs> Oh, yes. All seven of them. Oh. No, no, <laughs> no. There were he's, just three. He was talking. Oh, those. Tri- tri- sorry. Yeah, no, the, I'm with the, you. The trilogy yeah. of three books. Yes. <laughs> so I'm was, with you now. Uh, where did God go wrong? The more of God's mistakes. And, and who, who is, is this, this God, God anyway. anyway? Who's this God character anyway? anyway yeah. yeah, something like that. And we loosely paraphrase. Those were the three names of the so, book. Makes me think of um, Richard Dawkins. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God oh. delusion. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, definite outright mockeries and attacks against a belief in God mm-hmm. and against the character of God himself. And I believe the books actually explained, Douglas Adams' books explained a little bit more about what those books were about. I can't totally remember. But I, I, I definitely don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So maybe they do, maybe they don't. We'll move on. <laughs> well, it was cheap. I think. No, it was slightly, slightly cheaper. cheaper. Oh, yeah, slightly cheaper. 
And it has the wet words, don't panic, written right. on the and, cover. And big yellow friendly letters. <laughs> yeah, which makes it seem like we're just a bunch of people running around panicking and all that we're looking for to solve our problems. Is <laughs> 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 to be told to not panic. <laughs> Nice. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, so all we need apparently is just someone that can tell us don't panic. And then we're good. Yeah, and then that's what gains our trust, and we know we can trust them after that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, that that lovely sound effect that I just played in the middle of Daniel talking, um, I, I actually wanted to include that sound clip for a very interesting reason. It's like they show all the people of Earth panicking when they find out the Earth is going to be destroyed. And they complete the scene with a bunch of sheep running around in a field bawing. What instantly came into my mind is the biblical metaphor for people and sheep. So that we we are all like sheep have gone astray. So Mm -hmm. uh, Honestly, I think that that metaphor gives sheep a bad rap. Uh, and and when everything's put it to right at the end, they show the sheep in the field again. So I don't know why. I mean, obviously, that metaphor had something to do with the randomness of the universe, but it it actually has a place in scripture. I thought that was interesting that it was thrown in. Yeah. So now some of the people, while they're panicking, while Earth is about to be destroyed, <laughs> what do they do? They lay down and put paper bags over their heads. Shouldn't we lie down or? Paper bag over it or something. Oh, if you'd like, will it help? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually do it. They show them doing it. That's kind of funny. There's some statement there that's kind of on the tip of my brain. That is that what people think is okay. The end is coming. Destruction is coming. Oh well, it's absolutely pointless. Life is pointless anyway. Just lie back and put a paper bag over my head. Well, I kind of saw it as man still trying to do something to affect the situation. And he will go all the way down to the absurdity of, well, if I put a paper bag over my head, maybe it'll go away. Like, they're so, we're, we so much want to have control over what's going on that when something completely out of our control is happening and the Earth is being destroyed by an alien race, the best that we can come up with to make us feel better is to put a paper bag on our head and lay down. Or, it's funny. That- or maybe it has to do with not seeing it coming. Like somehow if you don't see it coming, it won't affect you or I don't know. Right. Yeah, which tr- it, we're kind of going around in a circle here to transition to my thoughts, which are completely <laughs> opposite to Chris's thoughts. Oh, well, there you go. That is that I was thinking it more communicates an obliviousness, mm-hmm. that the people just want to be oblivious to the impending disaster. They don't want to see it coming. They don't want to experience it. That's the way that many atheists or non-Christians or whatever you want to call the other people out there want to think about the future. Well, they don't want to think about it. They don't want to think about what comes after death. They want to be oblivious to it. They want to run around they want it with to the be paper oblivion. bag. Yeah. They want it to be oblivion. Right. Because but they don't even want to think about that because then that makes life pointless. And so they just try to keep themselves so busy that they don't have to think about it. So it is really like putting a putting paper a bag, bag over, over, your over head. their head. Yeah. 
just walking around like that all the time. One of the things that Ford said, like right right before the, the clip that we just listened to, he he buys drink. They're in a bar, and he buys drinks for everybody. And basically, his whole attitude is eat, drink, and be merry because the earth is going to be destroyed in twelve minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As opposed to for tomorrow we die, for in 12 minutes we're all going to not be here. Right. Which Wait. the children of Israel said when they were wandering in the wilderness is they said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's actually um, in Ecclesiastes as, as well. In, in Ecclesiastes uh, 3 9 through 13, it says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now, it's interesting, though, that from that, it's not saying to just live life only for the pleasure of it. No, you're get, you're taking joy in it because it God it's God's gift to you. Yeah. Well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. That's why we were created. And what? God has given us so much to enjoy. Right. Right, all of creation God gave for us. He created for us. He created earth for man like we said in the last episode Isaiah 45:18 that God created the earth to be inhabited and even like concepts like the sabbath Jesus Christ points out that the sabbath was created for man not man for the sabbath God has created things for us to enjoy In Romans 14 it says so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit so, I mean, it, it just takes it to that whole other stand is that you, you may be eating and drinking and enjoying life, but there has to be some amount of righteousness and joy. And purpose. Purpose, right. That's what Ford was missing was mm-hmm. purpose. We can eat, drink, and be merry, but it doesn't mean anything unless there's a purpose behind it, which as Christians we have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a purpose to be joyful, and we have that internal joy that can survive even beyond the worst circumstances. We can still be joyful when we are realizing that our joy doesn't depend on circumstances around us, but on the condition of our heart and our relationship with the Lord. Well, this actually leads into another quote that I have. But I think that the chances of finding out what's actually going on are so absurdly remote that the only thing to do is to say, hang the sense of it and keep yourself busy. I'd much rather be happy than right any day. Enter the agnostic. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought it was interesting that so much of at the end of this movie, and that clip was actually taken very near the end of the movie, has to do with what makes you happy. And it, it seems like their their point was is that life is purposeless, so just do whatever makes you happy. Which, ironically, do you have the rest of that conversation? Uh, I don't think I have any more of that conversation. Okay, well, ironically, Ford then, um, Arthur then asks him, well, are you? And he says, what? Are you happy? <sighs> no, not really. So not only... Does he not know what's really going on, but then he's not happy doing it. And I believe the reason for that is because joy and truth can only be found in one place, and that's Mm -hmm. 
the the god uh, that's god and mm-hmm. he was taking that out of the equation because he's like oh well they even try to figure out what's what it's you know one step away from building the computer to tell you what is and and so he really doesn't have anything worth living for at all and in fact just later on just a few minutes on in the movie there's a scene where the the mice are trying to take arthur's brain and he has what he says is interesting as well. My head is filled with questions, and I can assure you no answer to any one of them has ever brought me one iota of happiness. Except for one. The one. The only question I've ever wanted an answer to. Is she the one? The answer bloody well isn't 42, it's yes. <laughs> On a side note, that's kind of a sweet thing to say. But <laughs> not the point. Yes. But yet, you know, he's got purpose in that question like right is she the one not is she right for me but is she, she the, the one, one. so right. he's like implying that there's a purpose in life within that question of him saying that there is no purpose kind of and all the questions don't bring him an iota of happiness it's that that's the purpose is, is you could question as much as you want it's not the questions that bring you any fulfillment it's the answers mm-hmm. and so if if your head is full of questions and you're not seeking the answers, if you're not finding truth, then you're not going to be happy. And, okay, this leads perfect into something I wanted to say earlier, but now it's like totally into this. <laughs> Have you ever noticed it's the people who pursue happiness the most that are the saddest? I mean, that they, they pursue it so much, but they can never find it. Those people who try so hard because they're asking those questions and never mm-hmm. finding the answers right because they're looking in the wrong places well on some level they're not even looking they they're just like hang it all i just want to be happy yeah and so they don't even bother looking anymore and they take happiness as an environment not an attitude i think that's one thing that scripture teaches us over and over again is that mm-hmm. finding joy is not a matter of oh turning over a rock hey look there's joy <laughs> um it's an attitude of how you deal with the circumstances in your life it's like you can either face them with joy no matter what comes your way, you can be happy about it, or you can try looking for happiness. You're never going to find happiness if you don't have an attitude of being happy. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think that's one of the things that scripture gets across over and over again is that you can't find happiness. You have to be happy. It's, it's, it's something that you, that you develop an attitude for with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit, because right. if you don't have the right spirit within you you can't be happy in bad circumstances all right let's engage the infinite improbability drive and find out what we should talk about next (laughs) you can thank the serious cybernetics corporation for building robots with gpp what's gpp genuine people personalities i'm a personality prototype you can tell can't you Marvin, Marvin, Marvin. <laughs> he goes right along with the, all of the doors in, in, the, in the computer in the, in the, what's the name of the ship? The, <sighs> the Heart of Gold. Heart of Gold, yes. The ship is, is eternally cheerful, and all the doors go, Because <sighs> they're just so happy to be opened and closed by somebody. Because it's their purpose. <laughs> <laughs> True. For a purposeless movie, it sure has a lot of purpose in it, doesn't it, though? That's the way most of these things are, that they're very contradictory when they have no foundation. It's amazing how that works out. Yeah. 
I, I do love how funny the heart of gold is in the computer and the doors. The computer says, hi there. I'm just delighted to tell you that there are two missiles coming in on your location. Have a nice day. And when they, when they switch to manually, it's like, and here you and good luck. You know? <laughs> here you go. And good luck. Yeah, it's a very cheerful ship. And and Marvin is an interesting contrast because he is extremely depressed all the time. That was how he was created. He is the prototype of the depressed emotion. Yeah. Which, why would you even create that in the first place? I want to know. He makes a nice weapon at the end. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. With the, uh, what was that, the perspective gun? Point of view gun. Point of view view gun. gun. Yes. Yeah, which what what was the point of view gun? You want to talk about that? Yeah, it was an interesting device that they they brought forward because I guess there was a consortium of angry housewives who who were tired of their husbands not understanding. So they had deep thought, ironically, uh, create this gun that whoever fires it, the person who's hit by it will then instantly understand and tell you your emotions about whatever. Right, your your current point of view of whatever. And it, it's an interesting little play on things because obviously we just said it. Marvin was used as a weapon. He picked it up and shot it at the Vulcans and they all instantly became as depressed as he was. So they all just fell down and quit desiring to do anything, which was a, an interesting way to end the whole, you know, conflict there. But there was another interesting statement that came out of that. When the guys tried to turn it on Trillian, she says, It won't affect me. I'm already a woman. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, no, don't you understand? It's not a sexist thing to say because it was about uh, how women are superior. So she wasn't being nasty to guys. That's just a fact of life. Oh, okay. You're just inferior to us. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, I want to go back there to something. Marvin, talking about him yes. and the computer. Emotions. Can machines have emotions? Mm. I think they can simulate emotion. Right. They can project what we interpret as emotion. Mm -hmm. But can they choose emotion of themselves? No. Because Marvin's only ability was to be depressed all the time. That's all he could do because that's how he was wired. Mm. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. And there's... A TV show, or there was, it's canceled now, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, mm-hmm. has a cool scene in it that deals with can machines feel emotions or not? And they were questioning if this certain Terminator robot that they were calling Patrick Henry, I believe. <laughs> That's funny. Was, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were trying to determine, was it experiencing an emotion? And so this psychologist kind of person in there asked the computer what picture do you associate with this with this certain action that Mm -hmm. occurred and the computer didn't understand that question it couldn't process that it couldn't associate an emotional picture with a an action the consequences of an action Mm mm-hmm and I think that says a lot about emotion. Now, we're not talking, this isn't a podcast about Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. But I think it ties back into this, is that, yeah, like you're saying, Marvin and the ship were programmed with specific emotions. They never deviate deviated right. from 
that line of emotions. Even when the emotions were not appropriate to the situation they were in. So, are they really emotions necessarily? Because it's just a programmed response. Right. That's kind of like the same thing of why didn't God create us all just to obey him? Then it would be a programmed response. We'd all be puppets. It wouldn't mean anything. Or even making the question more specific, why didn't he create us to all just love him? Then it wouldn't be love. Right. On the other hand, though, if you do, again, start with evolution, then emotions are nothing but a programmed response because that's all we are is a bundle of chemicals. And if our chemicals at one point in time tell us to be happy and release endorphins, then, you know, that's how we were, quote, programmed. Mm -hmm. And so you remove the soul and anything that um, reveals that mankind has a soul, like emotions, are immediately useless and can be programmed into anything at all because we were programmed the same way. And evolutionists would say that we inherit certain emotions and aspects of our intelligence or maybe even worldview, in a sense, from our evolutionary ancestors. Like there are those survivalist types. Yeah. And there are the, um, oh, what's the other type? The, the relationship type, I think. Mm-hmm. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, the nurturing, Yeah, I guess. And that that ties back to our evolutionary ancestors. Oh, come on. <laughs> you see kids that are totally opposite emotionally from their parents. All yes. the time. Yes. Yes. I mean, so where's I'm, the genetics inherited there in their thought process? Siblings can often, unusually, never have the same opinion on stuff as each other or as their parents or however far back you want to go. Because a lot of it, it's not just nature. It's we're not just a bunch of chemicals. We have we're we're we have souls. We are souls. We have bodies, um, <laughs> as C.S. Lewis has said. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we're not just a bunch of chemicals. On a completely different note, um, wait, 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 wait. we have to engage the infinite improbability. Oh, <laughs> in the, uh, and one day improbability drive. <laughs> Hey, that's sexist. (laughs) It's not really all that improbable because Eve has her button on the improbability, I mean, her finger on the button of the improbability drive, so I actually get to choose where we're going, so it's not really all that improbable. So there's destiny in this. To me, it seems improbable, but to you, it's destiny. It's destiny. Well, actually, what I wanted to talk about was not something you had a clip for. Okay, wonderful. Zaphod, one of the aliens on the Heart of Gold that actually picks up Trillian from Earth, you learned that he has two faces because he has two brains. Because in order to be the ruler of the universe, you could not have one whole functioning brain. So they cut it in half and stuck it in two heads. And so I kind of want to talk about the governmental aspect <laughs> of that because... um that's kind of what government is slowly becoming. It's just pointless, and you can't have any... And two-faced. And two-faced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, I mean, it was initially established by God. Um, here it is, Romans 13.1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. But again, if you take God out of it, government doesn't have a purpose. And so why even bother trying to give, so- trying to give someone power who has a full head and can think? 
Which I thought was ironic because Zaphod had to split his brain in half. And then the guy he was running against to become president of the universe or whatever it was, was thought himself smarter than Zaphod. So if he was so smart, what would have happened when he had to split his brain in half? <laughs> I honestly still think he would have been ahead of Zaphod. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. Ahead of Zaphod? Har har. All right, let's hit the probability drive again. Oh, excuse me. The improbability drive. Actually, this explains a lot, you know. All my life, I've had this strange feeling that there's something big and sinister going on in the world. No, that's perfectly normal paranoia. Everyone in the universe gets that. (laughs) (laughs) So just kind of instantly, they're disqualified, dis... Mm, I can't think of the word, but shed mud on <laughs> anyone who believes there's any kind of purpose in the universe. Uh, it's just perfectly normal paranoia. <laughs> paranoia. Religion is just paranoia. Chris, you wanted to say something uh, else? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it wasn't so much that he said that he had some, he had this feeling that there was something sinister going on in the world. That's that his, and, and he says, that's just paranoia. So do we all sit around thinking that there's, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people who are conspiracy theorists and they always think that there's, yeah. you know, they're always building things up to, to be worse or, or trying to find the bad in things. And, and I think that in some aspects, it's right. That is perfectly normal paranoia. Everybody feels that way, but we do know that living in a cursed world, everything is going a certain direction. Which, ironically, also lends itself to purpose. Because, like, especially in conspiracy theory with uh, Mel Gibson, everyone literally was out to get him, so he wasn't being paranoid. But it was all this <laughs> big governmental conspiracies are all very carefully orchestrated and with great execution and planning, and it's all for a reason. It's not just, you know, if it... With paranoia lends itself to reason because someone, something is actively trying to get you. That's the whole bit of paranoia. Mm. But if there isn't anything, then why should anyone feel paranoid? And there definitely isn't a government conspiracy going on in, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because the president kidnapped himself. The vice president <laughs> is spending all her time looking for him, the cap- kidnapper of the president. So Nobody's actually ruling the universe. <laughs> right. well, no, the book says that and the movie didn't make this point in at all mm-hmm. but the book says that contrary to popular opinion the universe is actually run by someone else that no one knows but only six people in the entire universe know that's that. right i remember that yeah and they didn't mention that in the movie not even a little <laughs> hmm so actually who wins the universe hmm the series doesn't point it out does it Mm-mm. Yeah. It's just some no, faceless wait. being. Or do it, they? It does. Yeah. In the later books, when they start going downhill, which was like after the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Douglas Adams, but you're not listening to this podcast anyway, so we can say whatever we want. <laughs> what about Earth? The recreate Earth, or Earth Mark, Mark two. two. Mark Two, yeah. <laughs> Stand by for commencement of life cycle in three, two, one. 
and it pretty much goes on to show the Earth, you know, starting back up exactly where it was prior to the dis- or previous to the destruction of Arthur's house. So everything is back to normal. All the people are back. The exact same people, yeah. which I thought was very interesting. They even show the people in the bar where they were at. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so they completely rebuilt the Earth, people and all. Well, if we're just a bunch of chemicals, it wouldn't be that hard. Or if Earth and humans were just a program, they just you know went to the bank, pulled it off a backup, and reloaded it. <laughs> Funny thought. But there is, I know we mentioned this before, the idea of that the book says that they still needed to plant the fossils around, but that this scene is interesting that they this company is in the business of making worlds and making planets. There is no supernatural being behind it. It's just all construction mm-hmm. and parts and bits. And of course, that's just, there, he's not saying that's really the way it is, of course. Right. But he, I think Adams is still mocking, of course, God in that statement of that to say God created the universe the way it is or that's the way people think we believe Mm -hmm. that's as equally as ridiculous as believing there's a business out there that makes these planets and galaxies for people yeah that's really what i think a lot of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is comparing or putting christianity next to ridiculous beliefs to make us think that Christianity is equally as ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Melding it all together so it's all just one big yeah. thing to laugh at. Yeah, which we did laugh. I mean, it is very funny. Yeah, <laughs> great movie for the humor. Right. That's all it's really good for, but it's hysterical. Well, and it's good for critical thinking, Well, too, of course. Yes. Which is why we're here. <laughs> uh, I think we've pretty much exhausted all of the clips. We didn't actually play the one that gave the ultimate answer, but we all know what it is. Anybody who knows. 42. (laughs) (laughs) Which somehow between when I watched the movie and when you watched it, something maybe different. But when I watched it and that answer was given, it was exactly 42 minutes into the movie. So I don't know why your DVD player had a different timing or something like that. but You know the editing guys was having just so much fun with that. Oh, yes. yeah. That's probably where all the cheering comes up while she's waiting to say it. Because, I mean, when you listen to the clip, it's like there's a significant pause there. Because, like, all these people have gathered too deep thought because she's going to give the ultimate answer. Right. To the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. It would have been a lot easier if she'd known what the question was. But then they would have had to put effort into coming up with a question. They would have bickered over what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> For another millions of years. Yeah, yes. So we hope you've enjoyed this journey with us and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And if you haven't seen the movie, then certainly go out and watch it. It's, it's a hilarious movie. I recommend being on a sugar high. When you watch it. Right. And you can but you don't to- need to. <laughs> True. It gets you on one. And you can go to our blog to see what our score was for the movie. We didn't actually mention that in, in either of these episodes. But uh, Chris actually is going to join us on the scorecard this time. So you'll yes. see uh, not only Daniel and I's 
scores, but you'll see her scores and a mini review of, of the movie as well. So Yeah, so watch for that. That will be on areyoujustwatching.com. And as always, the show notes for this episode are on areyoujustwatching.com slash podcast slash 008. And while you're on our website, if you're not subscribed, why not? Subscribe. <laughs> Tell someone else about the podcast. And when you're on the site, you'll notice our little cleancast button that is we're a member of the cleancast directory. And we'd appreciate it if you just click on that. That's all it really takes is you just click on it. It takes you to the cleancast directory and they track that and it helps bump us up in the list. And I'm hoping that we can stay in the top 10 list because that'd be really cool. I think we'd get some more new listeners from that. And welcome to all of our listeners that are coming from CleanCast. I just want to give a special welcome to Chris Jones. This will most likely be her last time in our studio. That's right. So we are sending her off into the world to become our roving commentator. (laughs) And hopefully she will come join us um, via Skype in in future episodes. As long as I'm not being eaten by um, Bigfoot or anything, then I should be around. (laughs) (laughs) Going Bigfoot hunting? Well, you never know. Life is just too random to be able to tell these things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you've enjoyed this conversation or want to add to it or have some commentary responses to whatever we said, please let us know. We love hearing your comments and, and incorporate them into the show when we can. You can send those to us at areyoujustwatching.com or call 859 353 4332, or leave a comment on the website, areyoujustwatching.com. And since all of this has been random, if people really enjoy randomness, then I recommend you follow me on Twitter, <laughs> twitter.com slash The Ramen Noodle, or subscribe to my podcast, The Ramen Noodle, which is like randomness in podcast form, <laughs> comic podcast form. Can randomness really have a form, though? I need a cricket sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm on Twitter, Eve. I'm on Twitter, also Eve Franklin. I am not on Twitter, but I probably will be soon. But you're on the internet. So look up Chris on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And And so we appreciate you guys joining us. I'm Daniel Lewis. I'm Eve Franklin. And I'm Chris Jones. Thanks for listening. Don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is produced and sponsored by D. Joseph Design at djosephdesign.com. The opening vocal talent is thanks to Mariah. Our theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis from their exciting Vacation Bible School curriculum, Operation Space, which you can find at AnswersVBS.com. Thank <laughs> you.